Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome into a special edition of the Batter Up Podcast, sponsored by the Dugout of Millwood here on the Sports Insanity Network. Mike Rifkin, the old ops guys in the house. We're calling this a special edition because we will do something for the winter meetings, a preview slash recap. You're welcome, America. Mm -hmm. But tonight we are going to do a singular focus. Our focus tonight will be the team Mark and I both root for. They break our hearts every year. Yes. Um, but we, we try to remain positive, mainly because we've suffered for a long time. Also, we root for the Knicks. So the suffering <laughs> fails in comparison sometimes. When you're a New York fan, you have to learn to suffer. That's why we chose to root outside of New York for football. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so we're going to talk Mets tonight. We'll recap the season that was preview the off season, go through what we believe David Stearns and company should do this upcoming off season. But we'll start, um, we'll backtrack first because, Mark, the 2022 New York Mets won 101 games. There were a lot of expectations this year after that 101 win season. And this team miserably failed uh, to achieve any Miserably, you're being of, nice when you say that. I, I, I got to remain positive. I'm in a good mood. Um, we want to keep it that way. I, I want to keep it that way. But, it, so, I'll ask you this. Because I say this to Tom when we do the Wishbone Shotgun podcast. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts. The Mets never fully recovered from when the Atlanta Braves punched them in the mouth last September and swept them to win the division. And I don't think that's unfair to say. You know, last year was such the season that all Mets fans were expecting. You know, they this was it. This was going to be the year. And then one by one, as usual, right after the All-Star game, those dominoes start falling. DeGrom gets injured. Yeah, you have a slew number of injuries in and around the field. All of a sudden, guys who are hitting beautifully are now going into slumps. And then your pitching becomes an absolute joke. And couldn't even beat the Padres in the wild card. So you take from that, and Steve Cohen answered the Mets' problems by getting, uh, you know, Max Scherzer and getting Justin Verlander. And we'll get into this season in a second. But when you take last year as a whole, where can you technically say the fault lies? Is the fault lie, yeah, they let the Braves sweep them to win the division? Or did the Mets take that as such a hardship that they didn't even bother showing up in the wild card? I, I think the Braves took everything out of them. I, I, when I go back on, on 2022, and yes, we will get to the 2023 Mets in a second, but 
When you go back, I don't think they ever I, – I think they were so confident and they had their swagger because they lined up the big three in 2022 against the Braves. It was Scherzer, it was Jacob deGrom, and it was Chris. I'm all about that bass, bass, basset. But when those three guys lose to the Braves, it's kind of like, oh, man. All right, now now you have to see the psyche of this. And then they lose game one to the Padres. Scherzer gets beaten. DeGrom pitches a gem in game two. And in game three, they couldn't touch Joe Musgrove. So then you go forward, and it's like, well, I know people are going to say, well, they were up 10 games, and it's an epic collapse. It really wasn't when you looked at how well the Braves played in 2022 up until they met the Phillies in the National League Divisional. <laughs> so so coming into this year, there was a high high hope that the Mets recovered. It's a great team. You mentioned it. The big addition was Justin Verlander. And then the rotation was going to be Verlander, Scherzer, and then it was – Kind of, then Kodai Senga, and then we'll get we'll get into the rest. But they took a hit before the season starts with Edwin Diaz, who who had a great year in twenty two. He tears his patella tendon in his knee at the World Baseball Classic. He's out for the year, and he never makes an appearance in twenty twenty three. Which is for the Mets, you know. In last second, there's only so many people you can reach out to and say, hey, look, we need a closer that fits our dynamic. And the Mets didn't do that. The Mets went to closer by committee. You know, David Robertson was brought in, but he wasn't even really doing the job well enough. Here's the thing. When Diaz goes, everyone's got to take a different role. Robertson becomes the closer. He was fine, but then it's it's getting the ball to him. Adam Adovino had his issues. Uh, Drew Smith had his issues. You know, you name it in the bullpen, they had a problem at one time or another. That's just the way it went. So let's, let's focus on, on what occurred for the 2023 Mets because we mentioned Verlander and Scherzer. Verlander misses the first month of the season with a shoulder issue. Scherzer eventually gets a 10-game suspension due, due to sticky stuff, which baseball, we're going to need a conversation about it still. And luckily for the Mets, they got a guy during last offseason who stepped up in a big way in Kodai Senga. Kodai Senga came onto the Mets rotation and – he had a huge spot to fill, you know, and that spot being Jason DeGrom, Jacob DeGrom. He, you know, obviously, even from his Japanese statistics, he was not anywhere near compared to DeGrom, to DeGrom. But this was the guy they were bringing in to be and replace him in the rotation. And... If it wasn't for one center fielder who had probably one of the best rookie seasons I've watched in a long time in Corbin Carroll, 
There's an argument that could have been made for Kodai Sanger to possibly, if that was the case, be Rookie of the Year. He had a solid year. He proved that his, (laughs) as I like to call it, his ghost fork pitch, as they call it, and then mix in another fork ball and then can hit him with a 94-mile-an-hour fastball. I mean, yeah, it's not 100 miles an hour, but you see 270-mile-an-hour and a 90-mile-an-hour, you're behind on the ball. And the other piece to Senga is the the one part about the transition was there were days or there were times he needed an extra day here and there because Japanese player uh, pitchers are used to six days off. So that's something that through his tenure they'll have to work on. But he was the guy. He was so the, – the game uh, – there are a lot of games you could call back to. There was a game, the Mets in Arizona. Yeah. And, and they're losing one nothing the whole game. And Senga's out there for the eighth inning, and the Mets are just held down one nothing. Eventually, Francisco Alvarez hits a, tie, a game-tying home run. Then they take the lead, and, and Senga winds up with a win. And it was just like, that's an ace. A guy who can keep his team in a game. And he doesn't blow up entirely. And that was an issue the Mets had last year with Max Scherzer at times, with Justin Verlander at times. They at times could not hold leads. They at times couldn't settle things down. Now, granted, they're both 38 and 40 years old, respectively. They're never going to do it forever. But... Think of Scherzer in the playoffs. He had to miss the first three rounds of the playoffs because he had a bad shoulder. Right, but he still got a rank. But right, but but it's an ongoing issue. Verlander, you know, he's going to keep going as well. But Kodai Singh approved a lot. So the question this offseason, and we will get to this point, it's how do you figure out the rest of this rotation? Because the two spots at the top. Well, there's one spot at the top that's there, and there's one at the bottom half, and that's going to be Jose Quintana, who also missed part of the year um, with a rib issue. He had, I want to say he had a lump on his rib, and that was the, the injury. Uh, it was a small line fracture that wasn't yeah. healing, so he had to go in and seal it and then go from there. Right. But- so, yeah, Mike is right. You have Kodai Sanga, who's a lock, and you have Quintana, who's in his last year, at the probably the lower to back half of your rotation, possibly your third or fourth guy. The Mets need help. The we Mets will, need help. We will get into how they'll go about it. A, a oh, little yeah. Bit. No, no, no. I'm not going to call out names. No, I, Mets, I know you're not. The, Met, the Mets need help in the pitching department. The Mets need help in the bullpen department. Oh, that that's for damn sure. There are positions on the field that the Mets don't necessarily need a starter, but they need depth. And we're going to get into all that as we go through this slowly. Yes, we're going to do this very slowly. But we'll start with the news that 
that that'll kick off at the top. So the Mets finished last year 75 and 87, good for fourth place in the National League National League East. The only team they were in front of, the Washington Nationals, shout out Patch. <sighs> this disappointing year cost manager Buck Showalter his job. And that wasn't fair. I'm saying, look, I understand the politics in baseball. I understand the business of baseball. The guy just won you 101 games. You take away his ace by letting him go, and you fill it in with two guys. Well, you already had Scherzer. Then you fill it in with another 40-year-old guy who's already missing the first set. Then he's got injuries all over the board. He's dealing with three rookies. How dare you let him go? No offense, Steve Cohen, Dave Stearns on the decision, whether it was mutual or whatnot. Give the guy one more year. Well, the the, the thing that got me was, and I get from David Stearns' point of view, he wants to bring in his own guy and, and, and see. But I don't disagree with you your thought process. But I, I will say this. I think this is very tally, and we'll get into it when we talk about the new manager, is if you look at the coaching staff as it is, Jeremy Hefner is going to remain on as the pitching coach. Eric Chavez goes from being the bench coach, which he should never have been, to being the hit, being the uh, hitting coach again, yes. which he, the role he held in 2022. The new bench coach will be John Gibbons, who managed the Toronto Blue Jays twice. Yeah, it's it's an it's an overall improvement. And the new manager will be former Yankee bench coach Carlos Mendoza, which isn't all over. I have no idea what the hell happened. Yeah, this is one where it's just like we have to take people of word of mouth, so. Like Aaron you know, Boone called him a great guy and, and thinks he'll be great. Um, let me sum it up very quickly. The moment John Stearns was said to be coming to New York, there was not an analyst David or a news Stearns. outlet. To, what did I say? John, sorry. John. <laughs> David Stearns was coming over and being the general manager of the New York New York Mets. There was no doubt in anybody's mind, including ours, that Craig Council was going to be the guy. What happened? Well, Craig Council was named the manager of the Chicago Cubs in a shock to a lot of people. You know? And by the way, they had not fired David David Ross prior to announcing the council hiring, which is very weird in my opinion. It may, you know, I mean, it makes sense. You're upgrading your managerial position on the Cubs, but it makes no sense to me why Craig Council isn't the manager of the New York Mets. Well, I, I think family played a role. He's not far from his family now being in Chicago. Which, and, and yeah, certain aspects like that absolutely go into and, play. Too. And let, let, let's be real honest. Not everyone's going to make it in New York. No. 
Bob but he's Schoen definitely someone who's already thrived. here. He could have thrived in New York. Well, he could have. He, but he also may have needed some counseling. Well, I think every manager needed some counseling after leaving New York. Well, I, I just meant Craig Council needs counsel. Uh, <laughs> all right, I, 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 I'm, I'm going to work harder to try again, and we'll get through this one. But no, this is a team though that does have talent. This team does have, in, in my opinion. Talent-wise, they are the third most talented team in this division. Behind the Braves and the Phillies. They're more talented than the Marlins. I know the Marlins had a really good year. I'm not a believer. But what comes with the territory is an expectation. So I need to know how a first-time manager in Carlos Mendoza is going to manage those expectations. You know, after listening to, like you said, Aaron Boone had said he was a he was a great guy. He understands baseball. He understands, you know, whether it's statistical or just plain old. Hey, I grew up playing this board. I know what to do. I don't have to look at papers to get an idea. He's got a team to work with. It's not like he's being given the bad news bears here. It's now him working with the organization to get the best team on the field. And that's where the concentration has to be. It can't be, oh, let's go talk to our players who've been there 10 years. No, we got to get a team that's ready to be in Port St. Lucie in three months. And we got the winter meetings in less than one month. Then you got to put everything together. So, Here's here's how we're gonna go about this. We we got a couple of things we will divulge and discuss on how David Stearns, Carlos Mendoza, and Steve Cohen should go about things for the upcoming winter meetings for the upcoming off season. Again, we'll dive into a whole preview next week. We'll also recap the meetings. But let let let's start with the. Big topic here. It's not Mendoza. It's not David Stearns. It does have to do with David Stearns. But we're entering the final year of the contract of Pete Alonso. Now, David Stearns has said multiple occasions he does not intend to trade Pete Alonso this offseason. Carlos Mendoza said he couldn't wait to manage Pete Alonso. Alonso was shown on Thursday in the city during the Thanksgiving Day Parade. He was apparently there. So, Mark, what's the realistic expectation here for what the Mets do with Alonzo? Do they extend him and give the fans what they want? Do they trade him and go back on what they've said? Or does this whole situation just get played out similar to how Brandon Nemo played out? Okay, like... Perfectly way to put it. It's a, it is a three-way situation. Way one is just give him the contract that he deserves. Not that he wants, that he deserves. He deserves the Aaron Judge type contract, the Corey Seager type contract, which I, I the Mike Trout, the Shohei Otani big number type contract. That's all very well known. And the, Steve Cohen has no problem spending money. And Steve Cohn can go out and do that. 
I don't think that's the way they're going to do it. I think with all the holes they need to fill, this is the way I would do it, is Alonzo still has one arbitration year left before he become a free agent. If so this I, is the last year. He's a free agent after this upcoming season. Right. This is the yeah. last chance for arbitration. Get him to agree to a deal. Take the arbitration number. And then once the season starts, we'll announce your extension. But that extension number counts on next year. This will give them the opportunity to free up money to go after. And obviously, Yamamoto is the top target. And it also happens to be the other 31 teams' top target, too. Uh, it's just who has the more desire to land them, and that's only going to come down to a handful of teams. The Mets and we will need to talk fill, about it. Right. The Mets need to fill in a lot of other holes, and it's going to cost money to do so. So the question becomes, can you get Pete to agree to take the arbitration number, which will fall somewhere between – 22 and 27 million dollars and i mean that's not kitty play money that's still a lot of money but is it 40 million dollars like aaron judge is getting or probably 50 million that shohei otani is gonna get no but if you guarantee him that after the first game is played you're announcing this extension you're gonna give him 10 years 400 million i'm just making up a number i'm not saying that's what they're gonna give him then that goes on next year's payroll, and you don't have to worry about it this year. That's how I would play it. The third and final way is, like Mike said, play, does it play out like the Brandon Nimmo situation last year? Do they wait and see, you know, who's going to be interested in them, and then last minute, bang, they make the deal. So those are the three ways it can go. Of the three, which way do you think it plays out? Honestly, I think it plays out in play option number three. That he that that they're gonna wait and see who offers him what, and see what his market value is, and then sweep in and be the nice guy and pay him a little bit more, but maybe get away with paying him a little bit less. If you understand what I'm saying. Okay, I, I get what you're saying in option three, and they're gonna let it play out. I'm gonna take option two off the table. Because I'm going to take David Stearns as his word and say he's not going to trade. I don't think David's – I know David Stearns has to be a part of this because he's the president of baseball operations right. and he's going to be the de facto GM after uh, Billy Epler had to step down for some real stupid reason that no one understands Major League Baseball. Whole nother conversation. It has to be option one. And the negotiation doesn't have to be handled by David Stearns. The negotiation has to be handled by Steve Cohen. And and here's why I say it has to be one, it has to be done by Steve Cohen. Pete Alonso, at the end of his career, can be the greatest hitter in New York Mets history. Runs, RBIs, extra base hits. He's going to be near or at the top. I'm not sure there's a better guy to be the face of the franchise. When you see him get interviewed 
SNY and he ends everything with let's go Mets or LFGM. The Met fan has not embraced a guy like that since David Wright. What honorary title did David Wright get? Oh, it, 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 it's boggling. Oh, uh, that's right. Braun jersey. It doesn't have the C on it. Captain. Pete Alonso is your captain. He is the guy who drives the ship because here's what I can sit here and say, and here's what Mark can sit here and say. If Pete Alonso play, if Pete, Pete Alonso wasn't in the line, Met lineup, we saw where that went this year when he broke his wrist against the Braves. Met lineup couldn't score. They no, have they no can. source of power. You look at you look at this lineup from this year, and it's you know the home run numbers by certain players is beyond impressive. The RBI counts, uh, especially from Lindor, almost having a hundred RBIs this year, is fantastic. But, Sorry, go ahead, Mike. No, but outside of those two, there's no power source. Correct. But beyond that, I'm looking at the average statistic, and I did this all out. The Mets were hitting, as a team, 242. That's not going to get it done in the major leagues. It is shameful. This is a team that has players like Lindor batting 254 when he used to be batting before he came over to the Mets between 270 and 290. Brandon Nimmo had his, had a you know a decent season at 274. McNeil, who batted 333 last year, batted 60 points less. It, it, that's the number you have to look at. You want to know what the, the best number on this team was? was Mark Canhan, and they traded him away, and Tony Pham. They both had two of the highest averages on this team at one point, and they traded him away. And and, and listen, here's the sign that Alonzo's important. Keith Hernandez said on November 9th in an interview, I think it was for the New York Baseball Hall of Fame, uh, uh, Keith Hernandez said it's very important that the Mets sign Pete Alonso to an extension. I quote, he's got a body of work. He's not just a shooting star that's gonna burn out, going to burn out. So there's two parts to that. When somebody who watches the team every day, who's not us, says how important a guy is, that means he's pretty freaking important. The other part to that is I want to go off something that Steve Cohen said after the trade deadline. And he goes, we're going to try to put a competitive team out for 2024 and we're going to try to win in 25. That that's the goal. Well, why, why do shopping sprees in 2025 or the winter of 2024 when you've got the talent in front of you? Exactly. And no first baseman puts up the numbers Pete Alonso does. So if all it takes is for Pete to become the highest paid first baseman in baseball, well, I'd say let's do it. And that's the one good thing about having these little, like, conversations that Mike and I are having right now is because you can see we don't always agree on the same thing. We both have different points of views on the way it should go. And we're not – 
putting each other down. We're explaining our views. But if you listen to Mike's reasoning over mine, yeah, Mike's reasoning makes a little bit more sense with the way baseball has been trending in giving and doing contracts. The other part is this. Argument's sake, you let your argument play out three. And you play it out. What's to say that Pelons are go somewhere else? And then the instant reaction from the fan base is going to be, like, what are we doing? What's the exactly. plan? What's the bounce back plan here? Because you said Steve Cohen said we're going to compete in twenty twenty five. Well, my best hitter, my just left to go. I'm just going to make up a team. He left to go to the Giants. Why? I don't know. He wanted to be Barry Bonds. But how are you going to replace him? That that's the First question that comes to mind. Jacob DeGrom, we had the same question, but every Met fan will tell you, it sucks that the Mets lost Jacob DeGrom. But you look back and go, well, he was hurt again this year. So, And you can't tell me that the same medical advisor who advised Cohen regarding Carlos Correa didn't advise him to say there was something wrong with Jacob DeGrom. Yeah, it, it's that that's just the frustrating part. And if you let three play out and he goes elsewhere, the fans are going to just be ticked off. The fans were ticked off when the Jacob Degrom left. We did a recording that night, you and me, oh, and you were not a happy camper. No, I look. I watched Jacob Degrom come up through the Mets organization, all the way through the minors, and made it to the major leagues. And look what he became—a two-time Cy Young award winner. But let's also face it, Matt Harvey came up the same way, almost pretty much at the same time. And Matt Harvey was overworked, which led to his problems. If the Mets would have followed the same protocol they did with Jacob DeGrom, could you imagine the rotation over the last few years and the three of them being healthy? Mm -hmm. We'll, We'll never know. So, We'll see where the Mets go with the Lions. All right. There's one other free agent we'll hit on before we go through. Guys, we would like to see the Mets add throughout the offseason. And that guy is Shohei Otani. Because how can you not go through a podcast and not talk about Shohei Otani? Shohei Otani is... is the Babe Ruth of Japanese baseball. Let's just call it as it is. Make it as simple as that. The guy from the moment he threw his first pitch to hitting his first base hit was just as electrified in the crowds as when Ichiro did the same thing when he came over and played in Seattle. Now, you can't compare the two because they're two different ballplayers. Shohei Otani, unfortunately, will not pitch next year because this is the second torn UCL he has, and he's going to have Tommy John surgery, but he can DH. I would love nothing more than to have Shohei Otani hitting whether it's in front of or behind Pete Alonso. 
either way, it works for me absolutely fine. The question I have is, if you're any ball club, forget about just being the Mets. Are you going to look at him as a possible two-way player, even though him and his agent have said he wants to pitch in 2020? Are you willing to take that risk? That's what it's come down to as of the last week. Yeah, and it, and that and that's the most interesting part of this is what does he want? Does he want to still be a two way player? Is he willing to change? Is he willing to say, you know what, for the good of the team, I I will only be a DH and pitch when me maybe asked. I I would like for him to just choose one. That way, I could keep him healthy, and that because. The investment I'm going to make in him is just too much to make me say, I'm out. You know? And it's just like, every team, you said it about Yamamoto, I'm going to say it about Otani. Every team wants Otani. Yes. Now, only a handful of teams can afford him Mm -hmm. and afford what he's going to ask for. So if you're going to give him $50 million, a year. What are we? You're going to have to come up with some sort of plan to say, okay, here's how we're going to go about. And I, I would be, I'd love to be a fly on the wall of those conversations. Uh, here, here's the only thing I'll say on Otan. Uh, only other thing I'll say on Otan. I think the Angels made a massive mistake. Yes. And not trading him. And I say it for this reason. I say it for this reason. You're going to lose him for a comp pick or whatever it is. How does that impact what you're going to do with Mike Trapp? How does that impact what you're going to try to build there and now under Ron Washington? And you make excellent points right there. One thing is you have to think that the moment Shohei Otani was ready to go, there was a lot of speculation that the Mets did what they did to acquire every one of those draft picks to turn around and send them all except for um, Acuna's brother. He was the only one who who was deemed untouchable at the time. But to send them all to Los Angeles just to get Shohei Otani and agree to an extension. That was the thought. And to be honest, it kind of made perfect sense. However, when Cohen came out and made the statement, oh, we're not going to be ready to compete until 2025, 2026, pardon the language, but you look at the team that's on there now, they're going to get healthier. There's no WBC for them to go play in and get injured before. You're going to get a 90% healthy Mets team that what you should have had last year. You're going to go out and get the pieces you're missing, and we'll go into that more. But would Shohei Otani eliminate a big decision they have to deal with? Absolutely. Are they going to be the ones that are going to pursue him? Directly? No. I think they'll do their due diligence. They'll make their calls. They'll have them in for a meeting. 
But I think there are a couple other teams that are going to throw a lot more at them that the Mets are going to be able to. And, and that's fine. Because as long as you put your hat into the race and you say, this is what I want you to here's what we're going to try to do, I think the fans will be okay. Right. As long as you bring them in, show that you have interest and not say, you know, I don't care if he's about Spencer. No, no, but the Oakland A's have no harm in calling him and saying, hey, look, he's called. He can say, I'm sorry, I'm not interested and hang up. But you're doing right by the fans in just making that phone call. Listen, I don't think the Oakland A's want to be, Oakland A's fans want to be associated with the Oakland A's anymore. I tried to pick the cheapest team, and you can't really call the Marlins the cheapest team anymore. So no, no, no that's fair. But <laughs> hey, show hey, you want to you, you want to come to Vegas? Yeah, we're still playing in Oakland for one more year. Uh, you you don't want to? Okay. You know, there's a thought that might circle here now that you just said that. <laughs> Could you imagine Shohei Otani being the law, the face of the Las Vegas A's? I would say this, if I'm an Oakland A's fan, I would be so pissed off at that because you refused to spend money when you were here and now <laughs> you're going to Vegas and you're going to put, you're going to spend now? It's not. Screw you. It, it, it won't happen, but it was just a thought, you know. The Mets have a lot to work on this season. Um, you know, we know we're solidified at shortstop with Francisco Lindor. Center field is Brandon Nimmo, and first base right now is Pete Alonso, and catcher is Francisco Alvarez. Otherwise, positions are up for grabs. So, so let's let's take that, and that'll be our next step on. Excuse me, on building the twenty twenty four New York Mets. So let let's start with the rotation. We talked about it before. Kodai Senga, Jose Quintana are probably the only two locks. Agreed. Which means you have three three spots open. Now, for the purpose of this conversation, we'll put Tyler Miguel and Jose Buto off to the side. David Peterson is going to miss some time after undergoing hip surgery. So, Mark... How should the Mets fill out the rest of the rotation? Okay. So the Mets, you know, you you traditionally want to go with the five-man rotation. You know, so the Mets need three starting pitchers, and there's no other ways to look around it. Obviously, the first look is going to be – I'm going to screw up his first name, so I'm just going to go with his last name, Yamamoto out of – Yoshi Yamamoto. Thank you. Uh, out of Japan, it looks like the Mets are going are the front runners. They're ready to post the most money for him. Whether he wants to come to the Mets, the Yankees, Boston, Seattle, or the Angels, we don't know. But those seem to be the five teams that seem to be in on him the most as of right now. So you do that. Now you're down to two. There are plenty of serviceable, and I hate to use the word serviceable, but that's really what it is serviceable names that can maybe not get you 18 wins, 19 wins, but can do something that the Mets have not had and eat innings. And that's that's a problem the Mets are getting into last year's between the injuries to Scherzer and Verlander. That bullpen was being so overused 
that they were exhausted by the end of the first quarter of the season. So I would go out and get a Jordan Montgomery, who is known to go long into innings and call me nuts. But I would also go after Sonny Gray as a low name, but has the ability to pitch six, seven innings. Okay, so you you would go Yamamoto, Montgomery, and Gray. Yes. Okay. I agree with you on one-third of that. Okay. I I, I would sign Yamamoto uh, because, one, he's 25 years old. And he's won multiple Japanese Cy Youngs, and he fits into the plan perfectly at just 25 years old. I, I don't have an issue signing Montgomery or Gray. My thing would be this. Particularly on Montgomery, uh, uh, on Gray, we saw Sun Gray pitch for the Yankees, and it did not work. Now, City City Field is a bigger ballpark, so maybe that could benefit him. But I'm not. Sh- I'm just not sure he's not scared off by the idea of pitching in New York again. Again, pitching in the hardest uh, next to California, the hardest, yeah. uh, hardest place to play. That so fans to play in front of. Sorry, yeah, that's what I was going yeah. for. No, yeah. no, 100%. So, so I'm going to push Gray to the side. Montgomery, I have no issue with it. I just wonder how much it would take because I don't want to give Jordan Montgomery 150 million bucks. You know what I'm No, saying? we're not pulling a Carlos. Right. Like, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to be stuck in a situation kind of like what the Yankees got with Carlos Rodon last year where they paid him, and he was bad, just straight up bad. So my mindset is I would use a little bit of what I just got, and I'm going to impl- impl- explore a little bit. And one of the things I would love to explore, I've always been a fan of the Pacific Northwest. I love fish markets. I love, you know... Safeco Field, I got to tour it as a kid. Love the Seahawk highlight uniforms that they wore on Thanksgiving. I would call the Mariners, who need offense, to see if they would give up one of their young pitchers. Whether that's Kirby or if that's Logan Gilbert, because they just traded Eugenio Suarez to the Diamondbacks. Yeah, but he was also nearing the end of his career. I well, well, here comes my point. Who's playing third base for the Mariners? Nobody right now. I mean, if anybody hits the ball there, it's going right into left field. But they have time to figure that out. No, no. I here's the point, Matt. If Matt Chapman doesn't sign there, that's your be- the best third baseman on the market. The Mets could tr- theoretically. Trade Vientos or Beatty. Don't you dare say it. For Kirby or Gilbert. Okay. Wait, what, what did you think I was going to say? No, 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 no. I, I, I don't want to hear Beatty's name even coming up for trade. Okay. Trade, trade Vientos. Vientos. Look, I've what we've watched and we've talked about these kids coming up through the leagues and Vientos. Looked like somebody who was going to be a, a, a top pick, a, you know, superstar, 
But let's face it, the guy only has had so much he's been able to play. However, that being said, what Roni Mauricio did at third base in the last 20, 25 games was very encouraging. So, yes, I think you have to trade one of your two third basemen. But I think Beatty, who is the better average hitter and the better fielder, you got to keep. And you can run with a combination of Mauricio and Beatty at third and trade Vientos. Right. And if and Mauricio could even play second, you use Jeff McNeil in the outfield. There, right. there, there, there's ways to go about it. So you can go to Seattle for one of those guys. You can call the Rays on Tyler Glass now. Five million a year. Well, it's for one year, so it's kind of hard. Um, you can call Cleveland on Shane Bieber. Uh, that's a little bit more. Uh, the, 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 guy, the way I, I'd also see what Toronto's thinking about with Alec Manoa after the year he had. Well, Manoa would be, would be gotten on a song, but the problem is, has he worked out? And I hate to use it this way. So no offense to the guy, the demons in his head that, uh, you know, took him from one of the more prolific pitchers to be up and coming to wild but, thing, Ricky Vaughn. But, but that's why I think a change of scenery would be good for him, in, in my opinion. Okay. So, so that would be a guy. Dylan Cease would be a guy I'd look to. I, look, I, I when you said Dylan Cease last year, I will be the first one to say it. I said, there's your pipe dream. Not going to happen. What did I say two weeks ago? I apologize. It's an absolute possibility it could happen. The question, though, becomes is what are they going to want in return? Now, obviously, Dylan Cease didn't have the greatest of years and not like you really could. Anybody could have a good year on the White Sox. He is a high-profile young prospect still. The question is, what are you going to give up for? Well, and here's my this is my question on the White Sox as a whole: is what direction are you going? But like you know, that I don't know if they know if they want to contend, if they want to stink. If they, I don't think they know. They're the White Sox. They I mean, they just let Tim Anderson go. Tim Anderson's gonna. I can't believe I'm gonna say this. Tim Anderson's gonna be a Dodger and be great. And that's what's gonna happen to Tim Anderson, but. But, yeah, I, I think if you're the Mets, if you sign Yamamoto, and there's one other guy I would look at signing, and, and it's Lucas Giolito. You had mentioned that name as well. And the the reason why it's it's low-risk, high-reward, because Giolito's not going to ask, not going to get a lot of money because he hasn't been good the past couple of years. So if you can get him on a one-year deal, seven million dollars with incentives to be your number three or four starter it's it's i think that's worth it i don't disagree with you i think of all the options you know we just laid out yes i think either get i would think um of the two pitchers in seattle i think kirby would be the better nothing against logan gilbert I just happen to like Kirby's motion, and he does to have one or more pitches than uh, what Gilbert does have. But either one of them would be definite improvement on what we have. So, 
And one of them, I think it's Kirby, is from upstate New York. Okay. So, so there's a benefit there. But, there's a benefit there. You know, as I said, even though I said it was a pipe dream, I've now been try- really am pulling for the Mets to make a move for Dylan Cease. I didn't think it was even going to be possible. It never Now ceases. it looks like it could be probable. It never ceases to amaze me how I can just get people to turn one way. Well, things change, you know. Teams change directions. Teams unload. The question is, the Mets are not going to overpay to get them. They're not going to give away big pieces like Drew Gilbert or Ryan Clifford and what they just got for the no. trade from Max Scherzer. They're going to give away something. I mean, possibly you can see Alex Ramirez or Jet Williams possibly go. I don't think they want to give up Jet Williams. I don't want to give up Jet Williams, but I'm, I, if I'm thinking of names that are not as developed and as close to being major league ready, you have to also consider Kevin Pareda in that in that mix possibility. And that would be the one name on the top of my list. And it's not because Kevin Pareda's a bad player; it's because, well, where's he going to play? Because Francisco Alvarez is 22, right? And you can always get, and no offense again to Pareda, and no offense to Omar Minaya. Omar Minaya. Omar Omar, Omar, Omar Minaya should be offended by this. <laughs> yeah. The guy could not get down in the crouching position with his knees if he tried the poor man. But you can always get another backup quarterback, a quarterback, Jesus, another backup catcher here to help out Alvarez and get the Mets back, uh, you know, a serviceable guy who can give Alvarez a one-day break. Yeah. So you don't necessarily have to have two five-star catchers on your team. All right. So the, the rotation's going to line up a little bit differently. We're on the same page with Yamamoto. Let's go to the bullpen. Um, we know we have Edwin Diaz is the lock. He's going to close. Adam Adovino free agent, he's gone. Uh, Brooks Raley's back. They tendered a contract to Drew Smith. Uh, outside of that, this bullpen just has to look for, forget different. It, just, it has to look way better. I mean, if you look at all the names that pitched, the ones you named are the ones we're going to you know, remember the most. You know, they need a complete refix in a bullpen. And I think the best move would be is transform Taylor McGill and David Peterson to become bullpen pitchers. And I know that is hard to say, but get one inning from one guy who can pitch up to 99, almost 100 miles an hour in Miguel. And you have Peterson who can work in five different pitches. That to me is a good if you need a six seven or a six and a seventh pitcher, and then lead into your back end where you have still out of you know in place and obviously you have Diaz, but there are names you can pick up to help solidify it. Yeah, I'm not opposed to bringing back David Robertson. I'm not either. I liked him. I think he did a good job, and I think he was just a sacrificial lamb, unfortunately. I mean, 
I'm not opposed to bringing in Ryan Stanek from the Houston Astros or Hector Naris from the Astros, although I think he did sign an extension. Um, Met legend Michael Fulmer is a free agent. I I mean, they're going to have – listen, the pipe dream is hater, and I don't think that happens. See, if you get – Hater out of San Diego somehow, and, and and if he's willing to take a million dollars a year, God help the God, thank you all. But we know that's not what's going to be possible. But let's say you do get Hater on some type of deal to be your setup guy for two years, just two years. Give him a chance to regain and be a little bit more part of a winning team. He can give Edwin Diaz a break. What you have now, if you really want to put your eyes on it, you now have David Turns, his brother, and Josh Hader. Now go get Brandon Woodruff, sit him the entire 2024 season, get him healed, and go bring in Corbin Burns as a free agent the following year. There's your rotation solved right there. Yeah, so, so the bullpen's going to need some work. Um you know, I think they need another lefty in there too to go with Rayleigh for sure. Yes. Um, yes. But I, I don't need to see the Sam Coonrods or the uh, uh, Jeff. Uh, I forgot Jeff's last name. I wanted to call him Jeff Bridges, but it's not Jeff Bridges. Bring back Chad Bradford. Bring back. You know what? I'm not opposed to that. Don't bring back Armando Benitez. Oh, please, God, no. Unless we need to or beam somebody like Geraldo Chapman. Oh, J- Jeff, bring him. Don't bring back Brigham. Oh. And That's anybody bad. who says the Mets should go after Geraldo Chapman, please never show up on any chat I'm in. Y- yeah, yeah, no. I-, I don't want to see Chapman either. I, I mean, th- there are so many bullpen guys. That's- Maybe the Mets can out with Milwaukee on Devin Williams if they're going to sell the farm. I don't know what Milwaukee's plans are at the moment. Right. But, yeah. So, so we're, we're talking we talked pitching. Let's get into the, the offense a little bit. We talked about the young players a little bit. Talked about Alonzo. You talked about Lindor and Nimmo. So we're I, I think a guy we should hit on is Starling Marte. Well, Mike, you can go hit on all the guys you want. I'm good. Listen, we don't <laughs> judge here. We don't judge in this. I, I, I mean, the fact the fact that I, I just got you know shamed is just wrong on so many ah. levels. Call it HR. <laughs> but but I think a big key for this team last Wait, year I was am HR. <laughs> I, but l- looking at this team last year, a thing they really missed was Starling Marte because yes. he was so big in 2022. He was even bigger before he came to the Mets. This was a guy who hit 20 to 30 home runs, batted you 270 to 300, and stole you almost 30 to 40 bases of the season. Yeah, he got 24 stolen bases last year, but the guy hasn't hit his weight in the last two years. Yeah, and he plays a great right field. I mean, he look, he's got a great glove. 
Mm-hmm. I, I'm not gonna and I'm not gonna say the man doesn't hustle after every ball, but you gotta get some type of insurance behind him. And there are a few names you can play with and that Mike and I have gone back and forth on. The question becomes the question becomes who and one name if he if they can somehow pry it. Christian Yelich, make him a DH outfield split. That that, that contract just scares the that contract says to me you're not extending Alonzo. Make it an incentive lace contract. If you're willing to have, go spend have, I'm not a contractual person. So. If you're willing to spend $50 million a year to go pay Otani to DH for one year, and you know that's really a hard grasp, get the next best thing. There are, I mean, Yelich isn't the only one. There are names all across this board that, that are going to fit. Yeah, I, I like going bargain shopping. And I think the Mets can use another left-handed hitter. Get me Jack Peterson. And I knew you were going to say that. I have no problem with the way the man has hit so many home runs in so many important situations that I'll take it. And his his defense has fallen a little bit off, but his bat hasn't. So if you can get me a DH platoon of Jack Peterson and Reese Hoskins, because Hoskins could still play first base to give Pete Alonso a day off. I, I I would be very, very happy with that. See, Reese Hoskins is definitely something you and I have gone back for back and forth on uh, a number of times. And all reports coming out from the notes I have here out of his campus, he's he's healthy, he's well, I really don't care when he runs at full speed because I saw what he ran at full speed in Philly. You don't want them that fast. But um, his bat time is back, and he's able to make that extension like he used to at first base, which is all you really need to guarantee to back up Pete Alonso. But, yeah, let's – I mean, what is the harm in taking a shot and giving the guy a two-year deal, 11 a year? I mean that's a, yeah, I mean might be a little low than what he's seen, but he's been out of baseball for a year. Make it add some incentive based things to it. Yeah, I, I think that's a guy and plus you're plucking her away from the Phillies. That well that matters. too. I mean that always has a positive. You know, that matters. So I would go Hoskins and Peterson as what they tried to do with Ruff and Vogelbeck, and let me tell you something. That was rough. And I can't think of a bad word for Vogel or Ryan it with, but it was it was ugly. It, it, yeah, I understand it wasn't pretty. what the Mets were trying to do because of the way the guy was hitting in Pittsburgh. I got you know, I, I I laughed at it when they made the trade, but then I took a look at the numbers he was producing in Pittsburgh. And then he was hitting here. I mean, the guy couldn't round fast base, first base faster than Mo Vaughn. But doesn't matter. And the other part is they gave up a good reliever in Colin Holderman for him, and now they have to use more bullpen arms. And you know, became that's a, a loss of a deal. So th- here, here's the thing, and, and we can get into 
depth players. The other thing we got to talk about is something we kind of hit on before is we had Vientos, we have Beatty, we have Jeff McNeil and Mauricio, and you kind of have four guys for two spots, it feels like. Well, yeah, McNeil, who. Well, McNeil can play the outfield. Well, McNeil plays second base and left field, and let's face it, he was playing more left field than second towards the end of the year because they're trying to get Mauricio up and get the feeling of playing second. I actually like how he played third a lot better, but that's neither here nor there. But he reportedly prefers second. Yes. But in a pinch, if you're a drop, yeah, he could help you out at third. McNeil can be your fifth outfielder. I don't want him to be the fourth outfielder because let's face it, the guy isn't getting any younger and any more he sacrifices his body, there's not going to be much of him left. So you, you come down to the point as you have Beatty, you have Vientos. Like you said, you have Mauricio. Alvarez doesn't really figure into anything because he's No, he, he's your catcher. He's your catcher. but And then you got McNeil. You know, they just released Luis Guillaume. No offense. I, I love the guy's glove. The guy couldn't hit the broadside of a barn if he was spotted a helicopter propeller. Um, you know. He had the one walk-off against the Dodgers this year. Kurt, lifetime contract. Yeah, right. And, you know, and obviously uh, Vogelback was also non-tendered because the guy – as attractive as his numbers were when he came over, he really never translated into that. And they, he was just a guaranteed out. You gotta, the, besides pitching, besides finding an outfielder, the Mets have to find someone who can do what Vogelback was brought in to do, and that's be the DH. And that's the one position that we all know anybody on the roster can fill in and play. But if you had a choice and could bring in one person right now, and it cannot be Otani because that's too easy, who would you like to see them to go after to bring in as just as DH? I can't say Hoskins because he brings versatility. Correct. So one guy to DH, not Otani. I mean, I'd go J.D. Martinez, then. And that's the only person I would I, I mean, that... Yeah. It, we talked about it last year, so I was just trying to get to that fast. No, no, that that's that's fine. And he, he'd be he'd be great if he, you know, would come here and... and because he's not going to play the field. He can't play the field anymore, which is fine. No. Uh, that, Even his that, hitting fell off a little bit last year. But you know what's weird about the Dodgers... Last year, is they had Betts and Freeman, who both of which were MVP candidates, but it kind of felt everything else was so relied upon the home run. Yeah, I would like to bring, and that's not who JD Martinez is. He's a gap to gap guy, and that's exactly when he played in Boston. Yeah, he could hit the long ball. Oh, the great Green Monster was so beneficial for him. Yeah, I mean he, I mean he could hit home runs. Don't get me wrong. But, like Mike just said, the reason why I wanted him, and even Mike, we talked about this last year, is the fact because City Field plays so big, those gaps are so deep that a normal double 
for a guy in a wheelchair can turn into a triple. Wow. Yeah. I, but, but again, the versatility part of Hoskins and Peterson is why I would prefer them. But I, I'm not opposed to J.D. Martinez. I'm, I'm just not that, opposed. That's the one person who I was trying to get at. Ads for no, the age. No, that, that's fair. And let, let me be quite honest here. Like, if your lineup next year is Nimmo, Marte, barring him staying healthy, then you're getting Lindor, Alonzo, J.D. Martinez. That's his, and then Jeff McNeil's hitting sixth. And exactly. Then, then Alvarez seven. I, I'm okay with that. I mean, I would like to see Alvarez get to the point where he's hitting fifth, but he's not there yet. It's going to take a couple of years. I mean, he did it. Look, he's not going to hit for average in his rookie season. He had a paltry 209. But you want to know what? That's Chris Davis hit left in that and out and. Alvarez he got 184 million bucks out of it. Right. Alvarez is under such control that he can hit 209 and 25 home runs, and I'm happy with that right now. Especially because his defense has been better than what? Oh, what, what watching him throw a ball down to second. But here, here's the only other thing I'll say about the one. If Mauricio plays, he's hitting two or he's hitting ninth. And the reason why I say it, he can run. See, and that makes a very good point for, you know, trying to, when you turn, going to turn around the bottom of the order and going into the top, putting Mauricio at ninth, yes, that gives you a help, but it's going to lower any potential for RBIs, especially with his power and his availability. I'm going to go another way. I'm going to bat him sixth. Okay. I'm going to bat him sixth, right behind, whether it's right behind whoever your DH is going to be. Let, let's say it's J.D. Martinez. I'll just say it for fun. Put him right behind J.D. Martinez, and then you go on from there. Now you got movement going through that. that and, and if anything, I hate to say the support Francisco Alvarez, that amazing. Because if you're getting people on in four, five, and six, seven and eight, or you're going to be two big RBI guys now. Well, one thing's for sure is with Steve Cohen saying, we're going to focus on 25, but we'll put out, out a competitive product in 24. It put a little bit more pressure on the Mauricios, on the Alvarez's, to say, okay, we've heard a lot. We saw some stuff last year. We need to see you put it forward this year. That way you're a part of this going forward. Not saying they would move on from them, but don't be surprised. Like, argument saying Alvarez hits a buck 80 with eight home runs next year. Maybe the Mets are looking into the catcher's mark. I'm not saying it happens, right? but there's a possibility. There are two names the Mets picked up during the the robbing of the Texas Rangers and the Houston Astros uh, for Verlander and for Scherzer. 
And one of them we might see next year, and that's Drew Gilbert. Drew Gilbert has been, I mean, going what looking at his record and his stats from the Astros organization in minor leagues, this kid is a stud. Now, he'll be in triple A to start the year, but all everything is pointing for him to be the first call up around the end of May, beginning of July. And whereas his specialty is right field, and there is your backup for a possible struggling Starling Marte. Yeah, so we'll have to see how this all plays out for the Mets this offseason. We'll be back with you next week. We will preview the winter meetings as a whole. Uh, check out the website, www.thesportsnetwork.com for great blogs, logs, planes, trains, and automobiles. Check out this podcast, every other podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. For the old ops guy, actually, do you have anything on the dugout of Millwood that you want to say? Quickly, we will say is if you go to the website, which Mike has told us the address five different times during the podcast, which is always good. On there is a blog post regarding the last case break that Charlotte Myself and the wife joined in on all the fun. We got some great hits. If you want to get any of those cards you see up on those pictures, there's only one place you're going to be able to get them, and that is with the best co-signer in the world, and that's Top Knot Sports Club. So be on the lookout after Cyber Monday for those cards to be up and posted. Boom. We'll be back next week previewing the winter meetings. The old apps guy, I'm Mike Griffin. We'll see you next time here. On the next edition of the Batter Up Podcast, part of the Sports Insanity Network, sponsored by the Dugout of Millwood. Have a great weekend, everybody.